We would like to open this episode with a trigger warning. There will be mentions of child grooming and sexual assault. On today's episode, we're discussing a movie written and directed by Woody Allen that also has him in the starring role. Woody Allen's a controversial, uh, he's a controversial figure for many reasons we're going to talk about up front, and with full understanding if this is an episode you don't want to listen to. However, his films have been nominated for a total of 53 Academy Awards, and as a show that covers those awards, his presence must be addressed. I think it's worth, worth noting quickly that we're recording this session the same week that disgraced singer R. Kelly was found guilty of racketeering, including acts of bribery and sexual exploitation of a child, along with separate charges of sex trafficking. I don't know about you, but I've already seen several memes and social media posts that actually include Woody Allen as an example of how child grooming and predatory behavior is a problem in the entertainment industry, and that many perpetrators often go unpunished. Some cases are being addressed and made public in the past few years thanks to the Me Too movement, but there's obviously, obviously still work to be done. So here's a quick summary of the offending facts about Woody Allen that can be legally confirmed at the time of this recording. Woody Allen first became a lightning rod for public controversy in 1992 when it was discovered that he began a sexual relationship with Sunyi Previn, the adopted daughter of Mia Farrow, who Allen had been in a public and professional relationship with for over a decade, and Farrow's ex-husband, Andre Previn. The public record will show that Allen and Sun Yi both claim that Allen never uh, played a parental role in her life and that they'd never been alone together until Sun Yi was 17. They claim their relationship began when Sun Yi was 21. Worth noting, in a legal sense, that the age of consent in New York City was and is 17, but regardless of the law, the optics are terrible. There's a 35-year age difference. Allen's proximity to her from the age of 10 gives credence to any arguments a person would make about child grooming. Later in 1992, during Alan and Mia Farrow's legal separation process, Alan was accused of sexually abusing Farrow's adopted daughter, 7-year-old Dylan. After a 14-month investigation by the state of New York, it was determined legally that Dylan did not have any physical signs of sexual abuse and Alan was never charged with a crime. Woody Allen and Sunyi Previn were married in 1997. Together, they have two adopted children. It goes without saying that not being guilty of anything legally is not the same as being innocent. Money and fame hold huge power and influence. The accusations against Allen come up almost every time he has a new film or receives any kind of recognition. He firmly denies any allegations, and it's likely he'll never face any formal charges at this point. I make these statements not to defend Woody Allen, merely to state the case in a legal sense. His history of writing about sexually controversial topics, his alleged relationships with 17-year-olds while he was in his 30s and early 40s, his interaction with 16-year-old Muriel Hemingway in the film Manhattan, all build a solid case for Woody Allen as a creep and potential groomer of underage girls. If you don't like him and don't support him, you'll never get an argument from me, and I totally, totally get it. With that said, we're going to briefly discuss the critical theory of death of the author and avoid further mention of Alan's personal life unless it directly is related to the film. Thank you, Zach. Thank you. Um, sorry we're opening this on such a somber note, but we, we really wanted to get this out of the way so that yeah. we could hopefully engage with the art and not the artist. Because uh, it, it would be nice if we we could skip something that was in the pantheon of uh, the best picture category, but it is part of the history. So we are going to engage with the film and um, thought we'd talk a little bit about death of the author, which is a critical exercise that tries to do exactly that engage with art and not the artist, especially mm, artists of more problematic natures as Woody Allen has become. Uh, and I know like right now I'm reading my children 
the Harry Potter books for a second time. J.K. Rowling has questionable politics, to put it as lightly as I can. Uh, and I don't know why I'm trying to spare her feelings. She's a, she's a disgusting turf, and <laughs> I don't like her. Uh, but the Harry Potter franchise has carried a special significance for me over the past 25 years or so. And uh, I guess more 20 years for me, because I didn't really jump on until the movies in 2001. Uh, and, and I wanted to share those with my children. And then, of course, as I'm in the middle of reading those books, things start going haywire with her. Yeah, likewise. I just read them, you know, my wife and I read them to our kids recently. And, you know, we, we went to midnight showings of all the movies and all the book releases. And mm -hmm. so it's one of those things. It's like, damn it. Why do you have to do that? But, you know, claim the books separate yeah. from her the best you can. Try to buy things secondhand or something. I don't know. That's one of my practices. If, if I'm having a problem with the artist, I try not to purchase their art. If I want to own it, I only get it secondhand or, or pirate it or something. <laughs> right, right. And uh, one of my favorite podcasts, the Bechtel cast, uh, covered the movie. Uh, same problem with uh, films of, uh, uh, with Roman Polanski. I'm very torn about his work. I mean, yeah. the movies are brilliant, many of them anyway, and I'm, I do exactly what you do. I buy used copies, and I have to set the man aside to judge the work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we recently mentioned Chinatown. It's an amazing movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even even up to something like The Pianist, which is a film I, I went and saw in the theater before you know, that came. I was 18 when that came out. And I went and saw it in the theater, and then I learned about him. Was, yeah, I may not have gone and seen that in the theater had I known that, right? Uh, because of course he doesn't show up to accept his best director Oscar they give him because of that. Um, the one of my favorite podcasts, the Bechtel Cast, was covering the film Matilda today, and they were talking about Roald, Roald Dahl, who mm. is a rampant anti-Semite. Yeah, mm. uh, as was J.R. Tolkien. I and, did not know that. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, just read. Oh, dude, seriously, just just look at the uh, the the actual races of Middle Earth, and yeah, you immediately I mean, get it. That's definitely the the language on how he writes the dwarves in the Hobbit yeah. is especially egregious. Wow. Uh, okay. And I read I read that book to my children recently, and I hadn't read it since middle school, so I completely forgotten how unfortunate a lot of that language is. I always hoped that two orcs would turn to one another and talk about their kids' plans for advanced schooling or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 then of course there's always uh, H.P. Lovecraft, who's yeah. just a terrible human being, fucking worst. And like you can't, there's there's just no horror without him in the modern mainstream. Yep. And it's it's very unfortunate, and yeah, lots and so many bands. God, so many bands get ruined. Like, like the band Brand New, I, I love Brand New so much. And then a couple years ago, it came out about Jesse Lacey doing creepy stuff with teen girls and yeah. chatting on video wow. chat and like whipping his stuff out. It's like, oh. dude, why, why? Yeah. 
but I mean, I already own their discography, and I, I'm not going to throw it away because I love the music. But you, you can only do what you can now. It's like right yeah. now. Uh, I've been saying Blizzard is uh, the video game company is my new Chick Fil A, uh, where they're not going to get a single dollar from me until they get their shit straight. Yeah. So yeah, and that's a company. I mean, I was their bitch for the longest time. So. <laughs> So all over the place. Yeah. Yep. So with all of this said, with a very heavy heart, we understand if if you've gotten this far and you think we're trying to forgive Woody Allen, we're not. Uh, we're just saying that art can be looked at in spite of artists, and there may be some praise for this film. Uh, within the episode and we're sorry if that turns you off if you do not want to listen to this episode please skip it mark is played where we will not be offended uh we we do not want to offend anyone but we do want to put our feelings for woody allen aside and we would like to engage the art without him in mind yes and keep our complete track record of the academy awards and the best pictures because this is a, um, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A catalog, cataloged project. Yeah. Yeah. You have to deal with things, whether they're completely positive or not. All right, Jonathan, I think you uh, have a little something to say. Um, let's talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie. All you beautiful people out there in podcast land, my name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zach McCoy. And joining on this episode is friend of the podcast and returning guest, Tim Miller. Tim, welcome. Thank you so much for having me back. Mm, thanks for coming back. We were afraid we had chased you off after the last one. Oh, it was close, but <laughs> I worked up my courage and came back. We'll try hey. harder this time. Yeah. Uh, and we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscars, the podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week? Zach. We're watching Annie Hall, the neurotic rom-com archetype that explores sex, love, jealousy, and self-depreciation. Very nice. Is this everybody's first time seeing Annie Hall? Yes. No. No for me? Yeah. All right, uh, Tim, uh, when was do you remember your first time seeing this film? I believe I saw it for the first time, uh, probably in the theater, uh, at about the time it came out. Um, and then I watched it again last night. Uh, it had been a very long time in between. Um, my second viewing was not as I, I was not as fond of it the second time around. Okay, well we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Zach, do you remember? Um. I was in my early 20s. Uh, I had, I think I'd seen it after I saw Matchpoint. And I was like, wow, I like Matchpoint. I'm going to look at some of the other stuff he's written. And <laughs> so I got Annie Hall and watched it. And I'll talk more about that later. 
Um, about you, Paul? When I was in like late middle school, early high school, um, I was just asking if my parents would buy me best picture winners for like my birthday and Christmas. And this is just one of the ones they bought me. I, I guess they saw the little <laughs> statue on the, on the VHS and they bought it for me. And, uh, I immediately <laughs> watched it and absolutely fell in love. Uh, so I will let you know how that is working out so many years later. Okay. Let's do an Oscar breakdown. Break down. All right. It is a soggy April 3rd, 1978. Soggy? I haven't used soggy yet. I thought I'd go with soggy. It was a moist evening. Oh, no. (laughs) Dripping. Dripping. Just a soppy day. (laughs) Okay, so our dew-filled evening uh, is at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California. Still hanging out there. Our host for the evening is a 19th time Bob Hope. Bob Hope. But Ooh, I have nice. some sad news. 19. Oh. Uh-oh. This is our this is our final Bob Hope. Oh, he couldn't oh. even make it to 20. What a fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Caps out at 19. Famous for that. Given up before 20. Well, we wish you could have made it, Bob, but you just fell short. All right. Our most nominated films on the evening are Julia and The Turning Point at 11. Wow. Fun fact about that, Turning Point is the most nominated film to never win a single Academy Award at 11. Oh! oh. So, spoilers. (laughs) Uh, Our most awarded film on the night is a small, independent movie that I'm sure very few of us have heard of called Starry Battles. Starry the, Battles. Yeah, the celestial shooting or something like that. Something like that. Uh, yeah. It's directed by that guy that did that uh, American Graffiti movie a few years before. Oh, oh. oh. Jorge, Jorge Luca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A little Ronnie Howard. Yeah. I was, I was upset not to see Ronnie Howard in this film. Uh, Star Wars picks up six Academy Awards on the evening. We will get to those. Oh, we'll talk to Star Wars. Annie Hall wins Best Picture over The Goodbye Girl, Julia, Star Wars, and The Turning Point. Alvy Singer wins Best Director. I'm going to call him Alvy Singer for the rest of the episode. Okay. I'm going to try to. Uh, Alvy Singer wins Best Director over, uh, over Best Friends, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas. Wow even though Close Encounters of the Third Kind is not nominated for Best Picture. Mm. Uh, I assume they give it to Spielberg because Herbert Ross directs both The Turning Point and The Goodbye Girl. Oh, wow. Getting the nomination for The Turning Point. Uh, Best Actor goes to Richard Dreyfuss for The Goodbye Girl, making him the youngest Best Actor recipient at 29. Uh, Alvy Singer nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Diane Keaton wins Best Actress for Annie Hall. Congrats. Uh, Best Supporting Actor goes to Jason Robards for his second year in a row, picking up back-to-back like Spencer Tracy for for Julia, uh, beating out Sir Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi in that movie we talked about earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Best Supporting Actress goes to Vanessa Redgrave for Julia. Uh, mm-hmm. She gets on stage and badmouths the Jewish Defense League who burned her in effigy just days earlier. Oh. Uh, calling them uh, Zionist hoodlums. Wow. Eliciting many boos from the audience. Wow. <laughs> Uh, now the the Jewish Defense League is, uh, I believe, at the time trying to keep Palestine from being recognized as a as a country. Mm. So it is not unwarranted. Not a good look. Um, that sound lets you know that the Braves have just won the National League East. Yay! Forgot to turn off my <laughs> my ringer. Let me do that. Okay. Um, best screenplay written for the screen based on factual material or on story material not previously published or produced a Academy Award category that is not a mouthful oh. goes to Annie Hall. I think they made it longer because it fit in one line in the previous year. Yeah, probably. Uh, okay. So, uh, with this nomination, Alvy Singer becomes only the second person to be nominated for director, actor, and writer following Orson Welles. Wow. With this win, Alvy Singer becomes only the second person to win for director and screenplay following uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz for A Letter to Three Wives. What if it was Brad? What if it was Brad? (laughs) Oh my God, that movie. Okay. Um, Best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Julia. Uh, Best foreign language film goes to Madame Rosa for France. Beating out Louis Bunuel's That Object of... That Obscure Object of Desire. Hmm. Uh, documentary features. This is probably my favorite title of a film that we have come across on this podcast. Goes to Who are the DeBolts and where did they get 19 kids? <laughs> hmm. Wow. That harkens back to the uh, Thursday episode of about uh, Italian American. Indeed. I love that. I love that title. That's a great title. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen a title that's better. I wonder if they're a cult. Oh. oh, no, they just uh, adopted 14 kids. Oh, oh God. Well, that's good of them. As long but as had nice. five more. Like, Jesus Christ, get a fucking hobby. <laughs> <laughs> they have one. <laughs> that, hobby, <laughs> that hobby is banging. <laughs> uh, best documentary short subject goes to Gravity is My Enemy. Gravity. Oh, fuck. Is my enemy. Did you see what that movie's about? No, I did not. It's about a quadriplegic guy, artist. Uh, oh, the Ooh. title. Jesus fucking. <laughs> oh, interesting. Wow. Uh, best live action short film goes to I'll Find a Way, uh, beating out Notes on Popular Arts, directed by Saul Bass, legendary uh, title illustrator and oh, poster yeah. artist. Hmm. Best animated short film goes to the Sandcastle, beating out the Doonesbury special. <laughs> wow. I love okay. Doonesbury. A little upset. 
Uh, and our next category, best original score, brings us to our podcast within a podcast, John Williams Oscar Watch. John Williams wins his third Academy Award for the score, not the screenplay, of Star Wars. <laughs> wow. How shocking. Uh, he beats out a young and up-and-coming a uh, composer named John Williams for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> <laughs> the Williams twins. <laughs> I thought so for a long time. Uh, too bad his brother Paul Williams isn't here to... <laughs> yeah. Now I forgot what movie they won for. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and that does it for John Williams' Oscar watch this week. The big one, though. Yeah, yeah, those are two incredible films. Oh, yeah. And two incredible scores. Yes. They do beat out Marvin Hamlish for uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond film. Mm. That's it. I think it's the first time a Bond score has been nominated. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, best original song score in its adaptation or adaptation score goes to A Little Night Music, oh. adapted by Jonathan Tunnick. Beating out Pete's Dragon. Oh, oh, yeah. Which is uh, one of my favorite films. Um, best original song goes to You Light Up My Life from You Light Up My Life. Oh, God. You ready for a fun note on this song? Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, when Debbie Boone performed You Light Up My Life at the Oscars, she performed it with a bunch of children doing sign language who were posing as deaf. Say posing. Oh. Because they weren't. Oh. <laughs> Oof. I actually remember this Oscar ceremony and I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> <Oof>. I couldn't <laughs> even imagine. Were they signing incorrectly and everything? I wonder. I don't know. That's <laughs> that is something I would like to find out. Um and also that beats Candle on the Water from Peach Dragon and Nobody Does It Better from The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. I can get down with some Nobody Does It Better. I, I, I lay in the yard sometimes and just wave my arms thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start. Now no. that I know it's a thing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's such a good song. Yeah. All right. Uh, best sound goes to Star Wars. Best costume design goes to Star Wars. Yeah. Beating out our our lady of costume, Edith Head for Airport 77. <laughs> Edith Head and her Edith. 20 nominations or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we should have been doing Edith Head Oscar watch this whole time. Yeah, we really should have. The whole Missed time. opportunity. But we do mention her quite a bit. So We do. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I need to give that woman her, her due. She appears as herself in so many things. Mm. Uh, best art direction goes to Star Wars. Da, 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 da. Best cinematography goes to Close Encounters of Third Time of the Third Kind, giving legendary cinematographer Vilmos Zygmunt his only Academy Award. Mm. You just mm. wanted to say his name. I certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, just a big fan of Vilmos Zygmunt, so I got to say it twice. There you go. Um, yeah. 
Best film editing goes to Star Wars, giving Marsha Lucas, editor of Taxi Driver, an Academy Award. Uh, good. 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 I'm glad good. she gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, and best visual effects goes to Star Wars, giving, dun, John dun, Dykstra, dun. giving John Dykstra his first Academy Award, beating out <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Man, I bet that was a tough fight. Yeah. Like, I love Star Wars, but up against Close Encounters, that's yeah, that's a bit. Mm. I mean, it, it has to go to Star Wars because it literally revolutionizes the way that everything is done for the next 40 plus years. Yeah. Our Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award goes to Walter Mirisch. The Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award goes to Charlie Heston. Our honorary awards... Yeah, speaking of a, a problematic <laughs> death of the author kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, our honorary awards go to Margaret Booth for her exceptional contribution to the art of film editing in the motion picture industry. And to Gordon E. Sawyer and Sidney P. Solow in appreciation for outstanding service and dedication in upholding the high standards of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. Thank you. And, and we have two special achievement awards, one for Ben Burt for the creation of the alien creature and robot voices in Star Wars. And so oh. the man who designed the sound of the lightsaber gets a special Academy Award. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And to Frank Warner for the sound effects editing in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's our breakdown. Excellent. Yeah, that was some juicy stuff. <laughs> an, an important year. A lot of, lot of fun things. I've been a little quiet so far. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I do most of the talking up front, so that only makes sense. Yeah, I've just been stewing. Stew. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start now. So we're going to talk about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. I believe we've mentioned before, I don't know if it was a cold open of like the most annoying sounds ever mm-hmm. or something like that. I believe I mentioned mine was whining. Yeah, we did the, mm-hmm. uh, we did the, uh, inside the actor studio. Question. Yeah. The inside yeah the that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, this was an hour and a half of nails on a fucking chalkboard. Mm. That's curious. There's no whining in it, but go it on. is nonstop. I cannot and extroverted neurotic characters it is just non-stop complaining and i just what? and it was both of the main characters and it <laughs> i tried so hard to pull myself out of that but it hurt to watch and listen to this movie but you, do you like I, paul and me don't you i mean is it because oh, our voices aren't so high oh god it's not even the voices I, thing like outside of woody allen just i just cannot it. it John, Jonathan doesn't care for so vocal affectations. Uh, I, I and that and I just I've only seen two Woody Allen movies. I've seen Matchpoint and I've seen this one. I thought Matchpoint was fucking boring, and this movie wasn't boring because the story in itself, although I had issues on. I don't know, even if I want to call it editing, but more. I'll get to that later. I was going to say, this movie is bread for you, Jonathan. Mm. I, I just... Bread. 
<laughs> I, I'm sorry. I I hated the two main characters in this movie like, so much. Like this movie is non sequiturs. The movie, yeah. And <laughs> with your ADHD, I'm shocked. Like that it just <laughs> bounced fucking <Yeah>. everywhere. <laughs> that is that is what I love about this film the most is that everything is just all over the place and it's manic and it's wild and oh man i i love this movie mm. cool mm. i fucking hated it i tried uh-huh. so hard to be like because when we had the conversation uh i had kind of posed a hey guys force me to watch some movies and zach was like fucking watch taxi driver and I no 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 well, you had me watch something else that's right yeah it dog was, day uh, afternoon you dog you'd day watched afternoon taxi driver on I watched, your own I did and uh, so I watched dog day afternoon I was like fuck this is awesome then Paul had me watch um I can't remember the name of it only lovers left alive the Jim that, Jarmusch film that's it um and I was not a fan of that movie personally but I appreciated the shit out of it because it was a really good film it was just not made for me I could pull myself back from that movie and go. Everybody in this movie was amazing. The The story was great, and it was just nothing but just metaphors all around for problems that are just clearly seen, but it wasn't made for me. That's fine. But I could see what was great about this movie. This movie, though, I couldn't do it. I tried so hard. I tried real hard. It, this movie put me in a bad mood for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, you ever, you ever I, seen 500 Days of Summer? No. Okay. I won't oh, yeah. It is. It is. It is everything in debt to this movie. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but but you got uh, don't have any uh, Alvy Singer in it, so maybe you'd... yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but and I, I I just I don't like that. I the, the like I said the neurotic extrovert, just the one who can just sit there and it's just constantly complaining about everything, and but still being as social as they are and it, it just makes me i don't know it, it's i hate to use the word cringe but it just makes me just uncomfortable yeah like uh, physically i'll All say right. that uh caitlin yeah. is the same way she she literally can't listen to woody allen talk like if he's in an interview or if she can't watch his movies without like just get skeeved yeah. out by him i guess you know yeah that could be contextually it could be his voice i don't know but well and the constant clicking he was doing when he was doing his stand-up acts like the the mouth noises he was making just oh, <laughs> oh god yeah. oh. all right so, so. so tim you had said up front that you did not enjoy it as much on the second watch as you did on the first uh would you like to elaborate on that uh when i watched it the first time i think i was all caught up in uh the aesthetic the art direction the costuming which had a huge impact for the next several years. Um, <laughs> last night, I noticed, first of all, the uh, indebtedness of the movie to the Bergman movie, uh, uh, Tales from a Marriage. Is that mm. it? Mm. Yeah, uh, Scenes from a Marriage. Scenes from a Marriage. Um, it's a light, a more lighthearted version of that. Uh, I feel exactly what Jonathan talks about. Self-defeating neurosis should be... Uh, I mean, if you make your life, you're living at it, uh, I guess... You have a right, but uh, it's not for me either. And uh, yeah, I just, I just, it's like nails on chalkboard. 
Um, <laughs> and but he's his comedy is basically one-liners, and it's a it's a movie built around one-liners. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, uh, I can appreciate the hard work that Diane Keaton put into it, even though much of it now wasn't all that convincing. Um, Woody Allen, or yeah, he was he was what he is, and uh, I don't think he's such a great uh, film writer as he is maybe a comedy stand-up comedian or was. Uh, but that time has come and gone too. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, okay. Well, I'll, I'll say a little bit. Um, the, f- the first time I watched it, I I actually did watch it with Caitlin, and it kind of uh, tainted the movie a little bit because she didn't enjoy it, and she was like, "Why are we watching this?" Thankfully, it was only like you no know, ninety minutes, and it didn't ruin our day like it did for Jonathan. <laughs> Best part of the movie <laughs> runtime. But um, um, I do I do enjoy Woody Allen as a writer, um, more so for his uh, more serious '80s stuff like um, uh, Hannah and her sisters. Hannah and her sisters and Crimes and Misdemeanors is one of my favorite movies, uh, unfortunately or whatever. But it is, and you know he has he's one of the stars of the movie. But it's you know parallel stories, and you don't have to have him for the whole time. So. I, and I I do like match point and stuff a lot of times where other people are maybe playing his character like uh, Midnight in Paris where you have Owen Wilson playing more of the yeah or uh, Jason Biggs doing it at anything else mm. interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I will say this time around watching it um, I watched it by myself I was like Caitlin I'm not going to subject you to this um, I was able to enjoy it more because I kind of got more of the uh, references and things like watching a lot of the Fellini <laughs> movies recently, I, uh-huh. I could get what he was talking about. Like the guy behind him ranting about, Oh, uh-huh. Fellini is so self indulgent, but Lestrada was good. I was like, Okay, now I know what he's talking about. So <laughs> I was like, Oh, haha, pat myself on the back, but it's, uh-huh. whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy the one liners. I don't always laugh out loud, but they amuse me. Mm-hmm. And uh- and yeah, I'll say, I'll uh, when when Leanne and I first started dating, uh, we I had the Netflix subscription, the mail subscription, mm-hmm. and I decided that I was going to show her a lot of the works of two of my favorite filmmakers. My two of my favorite filmmakers at the time uh, were Spike Lee and Alvy Singer, mm-hmm. and we watched a lot of his. A, a lot of his stuff, uh, stuff I hadn't seen, stuff I had seen, uh, and I'll—I mean, I'll—I'll I'll be one of the people to admit he's—he was just kind of one of my guys. I—it's it, one of those divorces now that sucks, yeah. but um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was a big part of my uh my style of comedy the way i developed it and the Mm uh how how i present my humor and uh and this film was a huge part of that because it was the first one i had ever seen and it made such an impact on me in such a young age that you know this and in like albert brooks another nebbishy 
comedian that I absolutely love. Uh, yeah, they, they were just big for me. And yeah, rewatching this film this week reminded me why I, I don't think there's a wasted moment in this movie and it, and it flits from scene to scene so effortlessly. And so flawlessly, like when, when something starts ramping up, they cut somewhere else and they start building up a new punchline. And yeah, a lot of it is one liners, but man, some of the builds to those one liners are just excellent to me. And, you know, and sometimes uh, I like a lot of anti-humor. So I like a lot of build and a little payoff. So, so the scenes where there's a lot of that too, something that again, uh, this, this film specifically trained me to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I'll, I'll echo some comments made by our guest from a couple weeks ago, Adam Lance Garcia talking about not spoon feeding the audience so much. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you have the one liners and the comedy, but a lot of it's so subtle and, you know, the characters aren't laughing at each other. Ha ha ha. It just, the comments are made and, and, and the story, the scene either ends abruptly or carries on without making a big fuss about the humor. Um, which is something I, I don't think we always get anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the editing scene, like where, uh, Diane Keaton's character separates from herself when they're in bed together mm-hmm. and, and the split screen, um, psychiatrist appointments. I had, that was the scene I hated the absolute. Oh God. I loved it. So much. Oh God. Just <laughs> was it you like how you were processing or honestly, I couldn't process it. It too noisy. It was, it was way too noisy. Yeah. It was too much going on at once. And on top of that, you throw in the fact that like, I mean, granted therapy sessions are supposed to be more, I don't want to say whiny in that sense, but in more, you know, <laughs> laying out the problems, but yeah. to, to have them both going at the same time in both of my ears, uh-huh. just, Oh God. I, I can, I can kind of get that. Cause I was watching the movie with subtitles and then the scene that comes up with the actual <laughs> subtitles, like over the, Subtitles. I was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> that kind of, but wow. but the the exchange versus how often do you have sex? So hardly at all. Three times a week. How right. often do you have sex? All the time, like three times a week. I think that's a classic thing that makes me laugh. And and mm-hmm. I get your uh, issue with the presentation of the scene, but the content was good to me. <laughs> See, and and I think that's my biggest problem with this movie is. I was not able to appreciate the content because of how it was presented and by the characters who presented them. I feel like there, there is a movie in there that I would probably really like if it was with different characters. I think you should ask your wife if she's seen 500 days of summer and you guys, Oh, I'm sure she has. It sounds like (laughs) something that's right up her alley. (laughs) But yeah, I, I just, I, and I know if you give this movie to other characters, you end up with basically a Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie. Mm. No, you know, honestly, what you get is when Harry met Sally, you get when Harry met Sally. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that's a damn good movie. So, 
I, I, I just, it, it, it may just be Woody Allen who's just destroying it for it's me. It's the vocal affectation. It is, but Cause, like cause I Billy said, Billy Crystal is just as whiny as Woody Allen. It's the vocal, yeah. it's the vocal affectation. <laughs> I looks, will say there's one scene that really bothers me and, and it's when he arrives to Los Angeles and he starts feeling sick and eating the chicken and stuff. I'm like that even for me, was like too whiny of a scene. I get it. I get the joke is though, you know, he's out of New York and he's in LA and it's making him feel this way, but the presentation. Yeah. Tim, Tim, you got anything else to add? Um, well, I think what I most enjoy about this particular movie is it's debt to Bergman. Yeah. Um, much of the substance is merely mentioned rather than dealt with. Uh, I don't mean to be too terribly hard, but uh, there are Woody, there are moments in Woody Allen movies that I do enjoy subsequently. Uh, what I know best is maybe Bullets Over Broadway, where I feel like the best parts are the parts written by the other guy. Um, mm. uh, but I, it's been a long time since I saw Hannah and her sisters, and I probably would enjoy that more than this, I think. Yeah. Yeah, see, I'm a big Bergman guy, and, you know, Alvy Singer, uh, I think Bergman was, like, his guy, too, and he models yep. a lot of his stuff, especially you know, yeah. as he gets into the 80s and gets more serious. I mean, they're even like, they're even going to see face-to-face in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gets to Ben Nyquist as a uh, yeah. cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, so some of the shots were gorgeous. Uh, some of the transitions, you know, were really lovely. I... Mm-hmm. I it's it is so much of its time it rings true in that way people had a little too much spare time perhaps <laughs> uh at the time but it it feels you know real uh, i i just don't think some of the build is as subtle as in scenes from a marriage yeah i mean it, bergman is kind of a master of subtlety though so right. yeah Except for in Cries and Whispers. Oh, God, Cries and Whispers <laughs> just killed me. It's it's probably why I don't like it as much. It's not near as subtle as some of his other films. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, his career, yeah. No good. Even, but, well, uh, he, he laid a few eggs himself, but, uh, you know, at his best, he's mm-hmm. a master. Yeah. Uh, Got to give a shout out to you know Christopher Walken and Jeff Goldblum. So I was actually oh, yeah. just about to bring up. So <laughs> it's not even just them. Like the amount of I'd say up and comers in this movie, mm-hmm. because you got Sigourney Weaver is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Walken. Uh, like I mean, it's just randomly small little parts that you're like, hey, I know okay. them. That's awesome. Yeah, enjoyed seeing her. Um, yeah, cool. and I I absolutely love the walk-in scene too. With the, the <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I see cars while I'm driving. I just want to drive straight into them. Smash cut to them <laughs> driving in the car together. <laughs> <laughs> the that scene, like the the family gathering scenes, were probably the only ones that I actually enjoyed. Especially like the grandmother when she starts looking at uh, Woody Allen and she sees like the Hasidic Jew that's right there. Like, I was like, all right, that was kind of funny. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God, other than that, man, I just, come on. I, I like when, uh, when he's first kind of hanging out with Shelly Duvall and she's talking about Bob Dylan and <laughs> he's, he's gone. He's like, there's God coming out of the bathroom. I, I, ah, come on. 
I I love Shelley Duvall being in this movie. In fact, like her and Goldblum, I don't know how many others uh, were just. It felt like Woody Allen was just picking out a Robert Altman's actor basket. Yeah, yeah. from from the early seventies. Yeah, because yeah. Goldblum plays the guy on the motorcycle in uh, Nashville, and Duvall's right. pretty much in everything that he did in the in the seventies and early eighties. Yeah. I'm reading a note here that I didn't realize uh, the scene where he says uh, the winner of the Truman Capote lookalike contest. It was actually Truman Capote. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. What a riot. That's funny. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <sighs> you know, that scene brought up uh, a moment from Paul Simon's America. Uh, okay. Playing games with the faces, uh, you know, in basically inventing roles for people that pass by randomly mm. Mm. Nice. my uh, my wife is funny really paul happy. simon's in the movie i was gonna yeah. say my wife would be really happy that paul simon was mentioned and uh she'd be really mad if we didn't bring up the fact that he's in this movie <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess you know coincidentally we have to mention bridge over troubled waters because you love bridges and i know. love bridges <laughs> yeah the new bridge in town is wonderful you'll enjoy it Oh, the the new seventy four bridge, yeah, gorgeous. I uh, I'm gonna miss the old seventy four bridge though. I like feeling like a sardine. Oh, it's it's (laughs) not long for this world. Sadly, that was was a gorgeous bridge. But uh, I I look forward to returning someday and enjoying the new seventy four bridge. That is just like the weirdest fucking sentence that I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) I look forward to seeing the new bridge, Jonathan. (laughs) I love bridges. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. I, gentlemen. I, well, do we have I, any more notes for this movie? Um, oh, one weird note. This is the second, and, and I forgot to bring it up the first time it happened. This is the second uh, best picture winner we've covered that has mentioned another best picture winner. Ah, uh, cool. when the two guys are accosting Alvy on the street and, uh, and Annie Hall finally shows up. She gets out of the cab and he's like, I'm getting I'm getting harassed by the, the cast of The Godfather. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The other film was The Apartment. Uh, when uh, Jack Lemmon's character sits down to eat dinner at one point, he starts watching Grand Hotel. That's right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to try to keep track of that if it happens anymore. Nice. But that that's the only other note I have. Very cool. All right. Anything else, gentlemen? I think that's it. We're going to have, you know, some more things to say here in a minute. So we'll save time for that. Okay. Well, Paul. Yes. Is this movie in the Library of Congress? Well, yeah. (laughs) Can you guess what year? (laughs) I'm guessing 1995. Stupid and piss me off. So it's going to be like 90. I'm going to say 96. Just to cut off. Sorry. Well, Jonathan wins the prices, right? Wow. He gets in in 92. Oh. Which was the year before Godfather Part 2 and <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a very important film. Makes sense. There is no God. <laughs> <laughs> I've been well, saying Alvy... this for like three decades. Oh, there you go, Alvy, <laughs> and you have something in common. <laughs> nice. Well, I think, you know, he's a doubter anyway he has themes about you know lack of god sometimes but yeah right. yeah other times he's very very prominently talking about his 
faith. So, huh. All right. So let's go ahead and ask the other question here of who wants to guess the highest grossing film of 1977? Uh, Peach uh, Dragon. Oh, God. <laughs> good, good guess. Didn't hit 10. Sorry. Damn. Again, that's you know, egregious. Uh, I'm going to say Julia. No. No, we know what it is. Yeah. It was Close Encounters. It, I mean, <laughs> number, th- number the, three. Number three. Number three. Just behind Smokey and the Bandit. Oh. Of course it's Smokey and the Bandit was number two. Oh. <laughs> I saw that in the theaters at the time, too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, yes, the Wars and the Stars was the number one at 221 million with Smokey at 126. And it tops so. <laughs> wow. uh, tops Jaws, which was the highest grossing film at that time. Help. So you know, I oh, knew yeah. Star Wars, but I didn't realize Smoking the Bandit made that much. That's huge for that year. It's yeah, good, big, gracious. I mean, we are officially now in blockbuster era. Oh yeah, yeah. New Hollywood Easily. is dead. Long live yep. New Hollywood. Because I mean, you got Star Wars, Smokey, Close Encounters, and then Saturday Night Fever. All of those are movies made to go and see on Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. yeah. So you, you oh, can't oof. see Saturday Night Fever on on Saturday night though. It's too on the nose. Yeah, it's true. You have to go through. It's like seeing a bridge too far and an actual bridge would be too much. (laughs) Not for me, because I mean, I guess my new bit is I love bridges. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I am too on the nose sometimes because I I really like to listen to Tom Waits' Heart of Saturday Night on Saturday nights. I just feel like I have to do it. There you go. I do also. I'll be sharing Friday gifts with everyone tomorrow, so it's okay. Nice. (laughs) I do like, though, that uh, Oh God hit the top ten as well. Hell yeah. So The George Bloods resurgence. (laughs) All right. So it is now time to get into our worst. I didn't. Hold on. It's not. I didn't. Shit. (laughs) I I completely blanked myself on making all the jokes about Star Wars. uh, That uh, I didn't list off the 1977... uh, National Film Registry. Oh, films. Uh, oh, wait, yeah. that time. So Annie Hall, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Time, Eraserhead. Yes. Uh, I, an actress, a short subject. <laughs> Powers of Ten, a documentary short subject. Saturday Night Fever and Star Wars. Would we all like to guess what year Star Wars went in? I'm gonna go ahead and say eighty nine. Mm. <laughs> I feel like it should be 89. Dude, it's, uh, it's 89. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'll say 89. Yeah. yeah that's fair. <laughs> <guess>. <laughs> now that I know. All right. Okay. Yeah. We're done. All right. Excellent. All right. Short, so, short list, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, real short list. No Pete's Dragon. Son of a bitch. Bastards. It could happen. All right. So now let's get into our worsty judgments. And Tim, uh, being here before, you know our question, so we'll just go ahead and shoot you that first one. Does this movie deserve Best Picture? Uh, no. Yeah, yes. I'm going to go with yes. Sorry. It's close for me, but yes. Okay. All right. Zach? You know, uh, it was a busy week for me again. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch the movies I wanted to. I really wanted to watch Julia. I was excited to see that. Um, I wasn't going to watch the turning point because I wasn't interested in that. Good mm-hmm. girl. I'll watch also. Um, so the only two I've seen in this year's 
uh, running are Annie Hall and Star Wars as far as the Best Picture nominees. You know, I think based on what I've heard about Turning Point, Close Encounters should have got a nomination. Um, I think Eraserhead is not like a Best Picture worthy, but it's got to be mentioned. It's it's you either love it or hate it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I watched Suspira for the first time uh, last year. That that movie is wicked cool. I I assume we're talking the uh, Dario Argento version. Yes, the one that came out this year. Uh, but gotta give a shout out to the Rescuers and the Mini Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. You know, mm. ooh, gotta, gotta have those up there. Um, but the answer, uh, I'll uh parrot Paul a little bit from the Rocky episode. What you said, you know, uh, the big ones don't need the awards or whatever. Um. Star Wars doesn't need Best Picture. It never needed it. it, it I'm, I'm really happy to see that it and Close Encounters received some Academy um, recognition because these days those kind of movies just get the special effects and the editing kind of things. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, maybe we're turning a point a little bit, but Star Wars should have been Best Picture, probably. It's it's such a iconic um, juggernaut, mm-hmm. and you know even watching it now with my kids, uh, <laughs> they comment on the special effects of the the lightsaber, but the rest of the movie stands up pretty well. Um, <laughs> I do like Annie Hall as a movie, and I appreciate it for what it's worth. I I respect the fact that um, Alvy Singer has been nominated for original screenplay 16 times as of now and this was his first one and he won and he won director retrospectively i'm okay with it winning even though i think star wars deserved it long answer fair enough now that i think about it i i'm so sorry i forgot that i liked the goodbye girl it's a great movie <laughs> yeah cool jonathan <laughs> <laughs> i'm now going to present you with a joke list but i'm not really joking that much mm-hmm. and a real list of movies that should have been nominated well before andy hall i the first list abba the movie the grateful dead movie <laughs> the island of dr moreau all films that should be on the joke list yeah all films that i would still put above andy hall movies that i actually would put above Annie hall the rankin bass hobbit came out that year <laughs> and when there's a whip there's a way <laughs> jabberwocky came out that year mm. high anxiety came out that year oh, west craven's anxiety. the hill have eyes came out that year all of these well deserve more praise than Annie hall Jeez. Mm. anything terry gilliam Mm. I would mm-hmm. put. Can't argue with that. Well, before Woody Allen. So, no, I don't think this movie deserves Best Picture. And that's me trying really hard to pull myself out of this movie. I don't get it. It's, I, I don't like one liner jokes. And when it's a film that does basically that as its comedy, not mm-hmm. just his stand up, it's lazy to me. Mm-hmm. I like a good story in a joke. And, <sighs> Yeah. So, no, I don't think this movie deserves Best Picture. Against the nominees, yeah. The only one I other things that we would have seen was Star Wars. Uh, and, and as much as I agree with Zach on how Star Wars doesn't need Best Picture, mm-hmm. it still should have gotten it. But whatever. 
Paul. Yes. Was this the worst best picture? That's or not the question. That's not the question. <laughs> Damn it. I knew I was going to. It's been a while since I fucked up. So. Yeah. All right. Does this movie deserve best picture? Okay. So I'm going to. I'm going to do this thing this time. I'm, I'm going to try to do this from now on where I, I save where I rank the best picture amongst the. Uh, the nominees. Because mm. I feel like I, I give myself away a little too quickly. So. Um. The turning point is Herbert Ross. Herbert Ross got nominated for two Academy Awards this year. Two of his films got nominated for Best Picture. And he never gets nominated for another Academy Award after this. It's really weird. Uh, He goes on to direct some films that I know you've seen because he directed Footloose, uh, which blew my mind. Um, So it's weird that he stays so in the public conscious and doesn't get back to this point. Uh, the turning point's terrible. It is just an awful film. <laughs> I did not en- enjoy myself at all. And I think Bancroft and um, Shirley MacLaine are doing their best in it and whatnot. But oh, yeah, the climax of that film is the two of them Banking each other in the middle of the street, and somehow that movie is still boring. Oh, <laughs> damn shame! I mean, yeah, especially since it's a ballet film, and I was like, "All oh, right, yeah. I love ballet films. That's, Let's see how this goes." Probably one of the saddest sentences I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, man. It was it, very late seventies, overripe. Yeah, uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov gets nominated for best supporting actor, and mm. I don't know how that happened. Also, uh, Leslie Brown is not good in that movie either. It's just not a good movie. I don't suggest it. Uh, my my ranking at number three of the other Academy Awards is going to go to Julia. It was also very boring. Aww. It, it was this yeah. like war pre-World War II spy thriller sort of mm-hmm. where... Uh, this woman's friend gets uh, blown up in, I think it was Belgium, and then goes missing, and mm. she's trying to find her, and it's trying to be the third man, but it's not as good as the third man. And damn, uh, and, the cast looks good though. It's a really good cast, and Jason Robards is excellent in it. In fact, Vanessa Redgrave and uh, Jane Fonda are also very good in it, but it's plotting and it's trying to be. It's trying to be like intriguing. Honestly, I just couldn't bring myself to care. Mm. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know how it's nominated for Best Picture. The Goodbye Girl is a film I remembered liking a lot as a young kid or high schooler whenever I watched it because I love Neil Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I even auditioned for uh, a performance arts college with a monologue for Prisoner of Second Avenue. I love oh, Neil cool. Simon. Uh, Goodbye Girl really loses its charm from time to time, especially in the third act. The little precocious girl is cute, and she deserved the Best uh, Supporting Actress nomination. I think Dreyfus maybe doesn't deserve the Academy Award for this film, but maybe deserves the nomination. Marsha Mason's okay in it. Uh, It falls into a bunch of really bad tropes, like... uh, Mm. uh, some guys steal 
uh, Marsha Mason's grocery or her purse while she's holding some groceries. And then she makes Richard Dreyfus chase down the car. They get to the car and Hey, it's the only black people in the film. Oh. Um, mm. And then in another scene, she's like washing her face in the bathroom and Richard Dreyfus comes in and starts like kissing on her. And she's like, no, don't kiss on me. He's like, no, I'm going to keep doing it. And it's like, this is uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Turn in for tomorrow's Thursday. For more on that discussion. Oh. I'll tie those together tomorrow. So yeah, please, please turn that in. Remind me, Zach, to to tie those together because I'm probably going to forget. So, so yeah, it it wasn't as fun of a watch as I remember because now I've been deprogrammed on a lot of things. uh, Somewhat, yeah, you've probably heard us talking about on Taxi Driver last week. Um, Honestly, it it's a fine film and I'm sure in 1977 it was the best they could come up with, but with like close encounters sitting on the outside and uh, I, I like Pete's dragon a lot. I know it's not best picture worthy, but like Equus is there. Saturday night fever is there. Horse so sex. Many... Yeah. Horse sex. I've that. never, I've never seen any of that side. Um, is that the one that Daniel Radcliffe did? Yes. In, uh, okay. Ah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I can't, I, I don't like that these three films, this was after the last like three years of best picture nominations, just being like the weakest of the five being like a four star film Yeah, to come into this year with these films. Yeah. We 77 must've, these must've felt so important in 77, but they're all just lacking yeah. Uh, okay, so that brings me to Star Wars. And Star Wars, of course, is a, a film that I first saw the night before I was born. <laughs> That's a, a long-running joke with my family. Um, the Star Wars premiered on national television the night before I was born. Oh, wow. Nice. First time. And uh, when my dad checked my mom into the hospital, he made sure to get a room with cable so he wouldn't <laughs> Cool. There you go. <laughs> wow. So to say Star Wars is kind of a, a landmark film in my life is to kind of shortchange it. Both of my children are named after Star Wars characters. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, uh, I have a giant R2-D2 sitting to my right. I have a mm-hmm. bookshelf full of Star Wars books. I went to Star Wars Celebration two years ago and spent more money than a human being should <laughs> on Star Wars stuff. And uh, there's a Porg. Yep. There. If you can't see that, Tim, that's a uh, Ewok and R2-D2 lunchbox oh, signed, okay. cool. signed by Warwick Davis. No way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my daughter will be so jealous. Uh, there's a picture over here of me and my wife with Warwick Davis. You can see that on my, I think I have it on my Facebook. You can find it in my pictures and show oh, her and make her even more jealous. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm not trying to make your daughter jealous. It's, ah, it's good to make her jealous sometimes. It's, yeah. it's just a funny stuff. A, f- a friend of mine went and saw the, the David Byron America Utopia this week in New York. And I'm very, what a jerk. <laughs> yeah, right? um, okay. So uh, star Wars is more of a religion to me than it is a film. It's when I start talking about my favorite films of all time, I don't rank it anywhere because I don't feel like I, I assume most people, most Christians wouldn't rank the Bible as one of their favorite <laughs> books. Unless they were, I don't know, insane. Um, so I don't rank Star Wars in there. It is too important to me. 
it is one of the greatest films of all time and uh i i'm gonna go with what zach right. said it's it it's too important it's too important to be saddled with best picture uh that being said annie hall's a better movie annie hall is absolutely <laughs> hilarious it is perfect and jonathan I, shakes his head i could vigorously. watch it every single day of the week and never be bored of all of the jokes jonathan cut out his video so that he couldn't see me he we couldn't see him screaming into the ether anyway He's back. so annie hall is a better movie than star wars and it absolutely deserved best picture whoa yeah well, there all you right go. so before we get to me asking this question for the last time on this fucking podcast um all right so <laughs> thank you paul i love you buddy i, I really do <laughs> all right so tim is this the worst best picture? No. Uh, no. I've I've got two favorite worst pictures that were best pictures, and the last time I said uh, "Dances with Wolves," and this time I'm going to say uh, "Ah, the character." Shit, it just left my mind. What's the film about? It's about uh, a guy, Forrest Gump. <laughs> it's about Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's called Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! Vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, here we go. Our last few guests have said Green Book and Forrest Gump, which were yeah. Paul's, which yeah. are my inspirations for this podcast. Cool. Yeah. Well done. All right, Zach. Is this the worst best picture? Um. Hmm. Hmm. You know, no, it's not. It's it, it can be certainly an acquired taste, but I think there's very important things about it as far as the way it's made, the the way it had a cultural impact when it came out. You know, I do think it's funny. Um, I don't love it entirely, and it might be in my top uh, fifteen if not for some you know the sourness that woody allen has projected it is my number 20 though i'm i'm ranking at number 20 uh between the french connection and how green was my valley uh i'm sticking with Gigi and greatest show on earth as the bottom two greatest show is still a shitty circus jonathan i put annie hall next to Gigi. next to Gigi. yes so on which side <laughs> <laughs> man i almost put them like if there was a way to put them tied at that um but is it the worst no it's still not just somebody at, with a camera at the circus um but it's worse than the broadway melody i would rather watch the broadway melody than this movie again there you go. So, that's the bottom three huh yep i put it no uh my bottom three so it would be if it wasn't for the fact that I can't put them tied, but okay. I have Annie Hall above Gigi and Gone with the Wind and then Greatest Oh, show. right, right, right. Okay. Yep. So there you go. It is my fourth least favorite. So, Paul, is this yeah. the worst best picture? Um, so, no, it's not. It's not even close. It's uh, a perfect film. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I would say everybody should see it, but you probably shouldn't because. Fuck Woody Allen. 
Um, uh, but but as we said up top, I'm going. I'm absolutely separating the artist from the art on this mm -hmm. one. I know it's really hard to do considering it is all him, um, and that sucks. And I I hate that. Uh, I don't I don't feel as guilty engaging with this art as say the way I engage with Gone with the Wind. Um, mostly because everything that is wrought comes after this and I'm able to compartmentalize it that way. Yeah. Uh, whether I should or not is whatever. Um, sure. But that being said, this film is still incredible. It is hilarious. I, I laugh through a lot of it. It again, it is, uh, it's that, uh, Hey, I'm in this picture and I don't like it kind of thing. Mm. Um, where it's nice to be represented on screen. <laughs> uh, I have it at my number 11 between it happened one night in the apartment because mm. it is perfect, but there are perfect er films out there. And uh, I love it. Yeah. I, I like your comment about gone with the wind and, and the, you know, the way you feel about watching. I think also a thing you could say is, somebody's going to, if they sit down and watch this movie, they're not want to go, they're not instinctively going to want to go out and try to date an underage girl. Whereas people who have watched Gone with Wind for years, the South will rise again. This is my personality. And mm -hmm. yeah, create and, Confederate lovers and, and, and engaging with that art on a, try to compartmentalize levels a lot harder because mm -hmm. of, of the literal content. content. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Whereas the content in this film is not about that. I'll never be able to watch Manhattan again ever. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, not that it was like near the top of my list anyway. Like a lot of people put that one a lot higher. I never did. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this film's, easier for me to compartmentalize and easier to to engage with and uh i may never again which sucks i don't like that uh i don't like that he took that from me that a piece of art that is important to me now is hard is going to be harder to engage with in the future mm -hmm. and had we not been doing this podcast i may never have watched it again at all. No. And yeah. here we are. So fuck you, Woody Allen. Indeed. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where we should all kind of end up with at the end of this episode is just fuck you, Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah. We're making this movie. Anyway. <laughs> I don't think I praised Diane Keaton enough in this. Thank you. She was she was a good actress to play. He, he character wrote, I fucking hated. He yeah. wrote the character for her, like they were, you know, dating at the time. And yeah, like, ah, I didn't know that either. Mm -hmm. but, hey, he would date her for a long time. Hmm? Yeah, up until all right. Well, let's go ahead and call that here, Tim. Thank you very much again for joining us. Yes, we do appreciate it. it. Was a lot of fun. Yeah, was there? Uh, go ahead, Zach. I, I was just gonna say. I mean, I not to 
call you old inadvertently, but just it's interesting. Oh. It's, it's nice to have somebody um, who had a theatrical experience with the movie to to come on and talk about it. Yeah, so, I'm glad to be part of it. Excellent. Well, did you have anything you'd like to plug? Any social medias or events? I don't. That's awesome. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> good for you. Concise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on Twitch, on Twitter, and I finally put my list up on the letterboxed at Altorn underscore Occam. So that's finally done. Yay. Zach, where can we find you? You can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-T-E-R, or on TikTok at House Havoc, or Letterboxd by searching my name. All. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Letterboxd at Father of the Fear across all platforms. Letterboxd, I keep a running tally of all the films I watch. This week, I watched My Little Pony, A New Generation. My sons are budding bronies. Yeah. Uh, and that film is delightful. Everybody <laughs> get on the Netflix and watch My Little Pony, A New Generation. It's wonderful. So New Generation is a Pinkie Pie in the movie? Um, so the film starts out with Pinkie Pie and the crew from the uh, uh -huh. Friendship is Magic series, but um, it is like gener uh, generations into the future, All right. and uh, the the Earth Ponies and the Unicorn and the Pegasi have all split, and it is a nice yeah. metaphor for racism. Um, it yeah. is a great film. Well, um, a Pinkie Pie is my uh, celebrity. Uh... One of my celebrity wives so yeah i was gonna say how much of uh my celebrity wife tara strong is in the movie is it pinkie oh, pie who marries wow. cheese sandwich you know i actually don't know that i didn't part. i didn't mean for this to devolve into my <laughs> little pony talk <laughs> another <laughs> weird sentence uh, a sentence honestly a sentence, it wouldn't matter to me yeah uh, a sentence i only know because cheese sandwich is played by weird al yankovic ah uh, mm, yeah uh, I, and i know I, he gets married to a pony uh, quick little trivia here uh, thing for you guys. I don't know if you knew about me. Uh, I named my sister after My Little Pony, the movie. Wow. No? As a, as a little kid, I, I was a fan of the original My Little Pony movie, and I named my sister Megan. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Wow. I have since uh, separated myself from the franchise, but. You should get back. No, no, no judgment. Because again, magic is a great show. Yeah, Tara Strong. So I mean, yeah. I'll I'll have to post my picture of me in a pile of Pinkie Pies. Yeah, I. Is, I of course, something you I need say. to watch all the Friendship is Magic, but what I've watched, I really liked. Uh, I, I'm putting it on my watch list, which of course means <sighs> Parks and Rec's getting pushed back again. Shit! <laughs> Shit! <God> damn it! <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't wake the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> with that what are we watching next week Zach? Uh, another delightfully cheerful movie the deer hunter <laughs> yay which you can stream on peacock or rent on amazon google youtube or voodoo we oh. may want to look up if it's going to be on peacock tomorrow because it is october 1st. oh yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> so uh maybe you can watch it on peacock we'll update that with the social media post all right. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank My Little Pony's Megan 
NJ Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. And on Facebook at the Oscar Worcester Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review like Jonathan did with Annie Hall on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It really helps to make us more visible in the almighty rhythm of Al Gore. This is the rhythm of Annie Hall. <laughs> Masturbation is self-love. God. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, first Tim Miller, Jonathan, Zach, and Grammy Hall. I would like for you all to have a damn fine day.